week eight. There are benefits. Benefits. How many of you like benefits? Benefits. Well, Romans chapter five. Last week we talked about faith. We've been talking about faith for a few weeks. The reason we faith when we, we talked about faith is that the reason we do what we do is not to earn, but we're putting our trust in who we believe our Savior is. Faith is directing your trust and your mind and your will to the Savior. I put my trust in him. I'm putting faith in who he is because of who he is. We do not get saved by what we do. We get saved by putting faith in who the Savior is. You can do a lot of good stuff, but no matter how much good stuff you do, it will never measure up to the glory of God. That's why the scripture says, for all have fallen short of glory. No matter how good you do what you do, you can get all the law right, but it will never meet the glorious standard of how good he is. That's why you have parables like the rich man who came to Jesus. And he said, Jesus, I got every law. I, I got all the Ten Commandments down. I've never stolen. I've never gossiped. I've never committed adultery. I've never done this. I've never done that. And Jesus says, good, that's awesome. And the guy's like, okay, well, what must I do to inherit the kingdom? And, the, and Jesus says, go sell all the stuff you've earned, rich man, and then come to me. And the rich man says, see ya. And that's where a lot of people are at. We try to do a lot of good things, but when Jesus says, trust me, when I make a big request of you, it's easy to turn our back because do you truly put your trust in the request? Do you, put, do you truly put your faith in his ways? Or do you try to take things into your hands? When he says to pray for your enemies, but you'd rather curse your enemies, right? When he says to bless those who persecute you, but you want to talk about those who persecute you, right? When your mother or father do you wrong and he says honor them, but you'd rather get back at them or tell everybody about how bad they are, right? When he says when someone strikes one cheek, turn the other, but you want to get revenge, even though God says, I will avenge you. Who do you put your trust in? No matter what you do, it will never be enough to get you saved. And last week we had the examples of Abraham and David, both who did incredible things. They had faith. They did all, but, but faith is what got them right with God. Not all they're doing. It was faith. David did a lot of good things. But no matter how much good he did, he did mess up. He, he defeated Goliath. He took care of lambs. He could have killed King Saul a few times, but he didn't. He served King Saul over and over. But when it came down to it, one night he gave in to lust. Sent his friend to the front military lines, got him killed, and had his way with Bathsheba, bathing on a rooftop. Right? No matter how good he did, he still fell short. And that's why God says, you can do all the good you want, but what makes you right is faith. And when you put your trust in me and build that relationship with me, a genuine relationship is proven by the evidence of good works that you do. 
You don't do good works to get saved, but an evidence of true relationship is that your transformed heart will have a flow of good works. Not because you're trying to earn anything, but because it is a flow as an offering to Lord, what would you have me do? Does that make sense? So the truth is, is that when you're immersed in his heart, his desires become yours. You're no longer doing what you want to do. You're doing what he wants you to do. But when you're immersed in who he is, when you're building a relationship with who God is, he says, I will give you the desires of your heart. So when you start to get in a relationship with God, your desires start to line up with his, and they are no longer the desires of your natural self. That is why we have to take up our cross daily and die to ourselves so that we can get immersed in a relationship where his desires become what we want. And when that happens, there's no longer an internal struggle of I want this, but God says that. If you're still in that 10 years into your Christian walk, that's evidence of how shallow of a relationship you truly have. And if that offends you, you're welcome. Because I just gave you a key to why your life is miserable. You don't have much of a relationship. You have religion. You come to church. You sing the songs badly. You give your tithe. You do your prayers. But you don't have much relationship. So you still have a struggle doing what you want to do, knowing it's not what God wants to do, because when you have true relationship, desires start to become one. That's Bible. That's truth. Now, we've talked about that. Y'all all right? Now, we've talked about that over and over and over, that we were made right, counted unto righteousness, not because of our earning, but because of Faith in who he is. And this is how Romans chapter 5 begins, verse 1. Don't, we're only going to get into about 11 verses tonight, halfway of chapter 5. Therefore, verse 1, since we have been made right in God's sight by faith, we have peace with God because of what Jesus Christ, our Lord, has done for us. Therefore, we have been made right. Made right is speaking of a legal decree. We are guilty before the court of God's law and his glory. We are guilty before the court of judgment. Before the court of God's law in heaven, when you look at law, we're guilty of it all. But because of what Jesus did, righteousness, right standing with God, is credited to all who believe or have faith in him. And when you put your trust in that, your faith in that, the guilty sentence is transformed from a sentence of slavery to the penalty of sin to a sentence of being justified or made right. And when, you're, when that sentence transforms from slavery to righteousness, 
You're no longer a slave to your sin. You are now transformed to being justified and free and right before God. Now that you are free and no longer in bondage, you now have, you now have the freedom to access things that you never had access to when you were otherwise found not worthy to get them. Why were you made worthy? Because we hear you're made right. You're made right before God so that you are no longer a slave to sin and you are right before God so that you are found worthy to enter into heaven. But the Lord also says, pray like this, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on the earth as it is in heaven. So the way we are to be positioned is not let me wait for me to die to experience heaven, but let me experience heaven now in an earthly realm because I'm going to pray like this, your kingdom in heaven on earth now as it is there. And quite frankly, I get sick of seeing people pray these prayers of, I can't wait to get to heaven. Well, what you waiting on? <laughs> and the response is, well, when I die. Are you talking about your flesh or are you talking about your spirit? You, or, because that already died. When you were made right, you started, you were born again. That means you started a new life in Christ and that new life ain't gonna end ever. And if you trust that, you'll stop waiting for your flesh to die and start getting your flesh in line with the truth of heaven on earth. I heard someone talk about this weekend, I thought it was so profound. We always talk about when two or more agree, right? When two or more gathered, he is there. Well, we are made of three parts. Your soul, your spirit, and your flesh. Your spirit is either dead or alive, saved or not saved. Your soul is being transformed or in the process of being saved. It's your mind, your will, and emotions. That's why your heart can be the most deceptive tool you have, so you've got to get it surrendered to God or else it will deceive you. So don't follow your heart unless your heart is surrendered. But your flesh, no matter how good you do, it's going to die. Right? And God says, when I bring a new Jerusalem to earth, I'm going to take you out of my courts of heaven and give you a new flesh and put you back on the earth. So for everyone that keeps saying, I'm not home, you in disagreement with God. Right? How do you get in agreement? You get two of you. You get your soul, your mind, your will, your emotions, to agree with your spirit so that your flesh has to surrender. That's good? And when you start to realize that, he is with you, he is walking with you, 
And when your flesh is surrendered and your mind is surrendered to your spirit, then you start to walk in heavenly places because you're realizing there are benefits right now. I find it funny that everyone says God is so good, but we portray him to be this evil puppet master who makes us go through hell for 80 years just to experience how good he is. Right? He's good. He is just. And he says, I'm going to redeem you so that you can start walking like you were supposed to walk before the fall. Where were we walking before the fall? It wasn't in heaven. It was on earth. It was literally heaven on earth. The garden of Eden. The tree of life. He said, get out of my garden so that you won't eat of the tree of life in a fallen state. Get out of my garden and now eat from the tree of life in a new way and his name is Jesus. Y'all understanding this? Okay. So, one of the reasons you need to know this is that when you are putting your faith in him, you've got benefits. You've been made right with God. And the first benefit is found in verse 1. It says, since we've been made right with God, we have peace. Not just any peace, but peace with. Everyone shout with. Peace with God. Because there's a difference in peace of God and peace with God. Peace of God is in Philippians chapter 4, verse 7. Watch this. And then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. Right? The peace of God that, it, that surpasses all understanding. That's the peace of God. His peace will guard your hearts and your mind as you live in Christ Jesus. What's the difference? There is peace of God... And there is a peace with God. You don't have peace with Satan. You don't have peace with the world. You don't have peace with your flesh. You don't have peace with, well, peace with sin. What I'm meaning is that there is always a battle with the things I just listed. Their war is over because when someone wins a war... That means they won, but there are still battles to be fought to claim the victory that you have. I won the war, Bible says. God won the war, and now I want you to occupy the places that I've won. Okay? I've won your home. Occupy it. But there will be a battle to occupy it to put my flag in your territory. God has won the war. Occupy your mind. Occupy the relationship with your kids. Occupy the city. Go and occupy. Go and take my win into all the places where there still will be a battle. There's still a battle 
with Satan, even though he's destined for death. He doesn't have power, but we continue to come into agreement with an influence. That's a battle. Okay? There is a battle with the world. How many of you know that? Right? No matter how much truth is spoken and how much truth we read and hear, the world, it's, there's still a battle between what the world says is true and what the word says is true. And the sad part about it is that battle's being lost in a lot of churches because we try to make the Bible culturally relevant to a culture that God says, I need to redeem it and change it, not get relevant to it. There's still a battle with your flesh. Because I don't know about you, but as a pastor, my flesh wants things that ain't godly. And I'm transparent enough to say it. I won't tell you what. Right? There's still a battle with sin. Why? Because there is no peace there. There's always a battle. But there is not a battle with God anymore for your soul. Because he says when you're justified, when you put your faith in him, the battle for your soul has been won. You're no longer having to do anything to earn anything from God for the win of your soul. You have peace with God. The battle for your soul is done when you put your faith in him and you're made right. So because there is no more battle for your soul, you no longer have to do anything to earn peace with God, rather operate from benefits to engage in battles that you're now equipped for. And now that you have peace with God, the peace of God equips you for battles. I have peace with God so now the peace of God flows through me. It surpasses my understanding. It guards my heart. It guards my mind as I live in him. So now when I engage in a battle, peace guides me because I've made peace with him. And I have access to his account of peace by way of being made right. Is this okay? In other words... I have peace with God. I don't have to do anything to get my soul right. So when I'm going into this battle of my mind with my flesh, with this circumstance, with my family, with my job, I can go into it with peace guarding every decision and every move I make because I no longer have to worry about is God going to change the decree on my eternity? No matter what I do, even if I got this wrong or get this wrong, this has nothing to do with my soul. So let me take the pressure off that and let peace God by saying, God, what would you have me do? And I'm not worried about messing up. Not that I'm letting that be my get out of jail free card. It's, Lord, 
Even, I'm not going to worry about was this your voice or not. Because if I think it's your voice but it wasn't, by way of the fruit of getting it wrong, I've learned what's not your voice. And if I got your voice wrong, it has nothing to do with, with the with. You getting it? I have peace with you for my soul, so the peace of you guides me in learning how to get it right, even if I get it wrong. Someone's got a disease. Someone just looks totally sick. And this is what Christians do. We read the parts in the Bible that says, lay hands on the sick and let them be healed. Some, okay, maybe some of us have. And then we get timid to actually do it because what? We don't know how. And we get scared because we don't want to mess something up because if I tell this stranger, God wants me to pray for you to get healing and they don't get healed, we get scared of, I'm going to mess their faith up. But I've got peace with God. So even if I mess up in my try, it's not going to affect where I'm going. So if I get it wrong 99 times to learn how to do it right one, I will move on faith and not by sight and risk the wrong and looking stupid. The disciples did it. The disciples went and tried to cast out a demon and they got it wrong and looked stupid and they went back to Jesus and they were like, hey man, we tried to cast out a demon. Why didn't the demon flee? We did what you did. And he was like, well, this kind doesn't go out except by fasting and prayer. That doesn't mean you cast out every demon by doing a formula of fasting and prayer. He was showing them that they were not deep enough in submission to him to merit that level of a battle. But we are scared to walk into battles because we still tr struggle with peace with instead of understanding we have peace with, so let peace of guide you in. Making sense? Okay. And the reason we don't walk in peace is because we don't realize it's a benefit from living in Jesus. Because peace has been made that has given you free access to his courts. Why do we have peace with him? Look at Romans 5, 1 through 2. Therefore, again, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have access by what? Faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. We have peace, just leave that up there, with God through Jesus when we put faith in him. The only way we have access by faith is God gave us a way to stand in a posture called grace. Grace in which we what? Read it. Grace in which we stand. Standing in grace is a benefit of being made right. Grace is not just the way salvation comes to you. It is a benefit of presence of present standing before God. We stand in grace presently. 
Grace is not something of the past that God graced us with salvation. It was because he graced us that salvation is granted, but it doesn't stop there. We stand presently in grace. And many people begin in grace, but as soon as they receive, I'm saved by grace, they shift back to let me get mature by dealing with God with the principle called the law. But remember, you've got peace with God. So no matter what you do with the law, it does not do anything because peace has already been made with. Therefore, you stand in grace. So why do you still get caught up in law when it has no bearing on a battle that's already been won? And you get so caught up in law that you get distracted from battles that you now have benefits to be equipped to fight. Y'all getting this? Because look what it says. Paul talks about this in Galatians chapter 5. This is a, um, a gut punch. Look at verses 1 through 4. Christ has truly set us free. Now make sure that you stay free. Yeah, we like... the. The, the God's in control and you don't and the elect people skip over this part. Christ has set you free. Make sure you stay free. Don't get tied up again in slavery to the law. Why? Because your with has been taken care of. Listen, I, Paul, tell you this. If you're counting on circumcision to make you right with God, remember, circumcision was part of the Jewish law, then Christ will be of no benefit to you. I'll say it again. If you're trying to find favor with God by being circumcised, or in other words, if you're trying to find favor with God by getting all the law right, you must obey every regulation in the whole law of Moses. Here's the gut punch. If you're trying to make yourselves right with God by keeping the law, you have been cut off from God. Christ. You've fallen away from God's grace. Well, you can't fall from grace. It's in the Bible. Well, how can you fall from grace when you reject the with with trying to get the law because you said, God did good, but let me do it better. And when you get your life about let me do it better, you no longer have any reason to trust the Almighty because you don't think that anything he did was worthy of your soul. If you, if you keep trying to get yourselves right, it says you've been cut off from Christ. Perhaps that's why religious people don't look like Jesus. Because you don't understand that you stand in a grace that makes you right. And when you try to do it yourself, you're tied to doing and not with the one who graced you with the ability to stand. 
Standing in grace is a reassurance of many truths easily forgotten when all you see is your circumstances. When you're standing in grace, you realize, I'm, I am not graced to sin. When I stand in grace, I'm not graced to sin, but I stand in truth that I don't earn worthiness, I am worthy. Not I will be worthy if I get this right. No, 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 I am worthy. I'm worthy of his love. I am worthy of his friendship. Not, well, you know, I hadn't prayed this week, so he don't want to talk to me. No, you are worthy. You see, when you stand in grace, you spend more time praising God than hating yourself. Because, you know, you no, you no longer focus on your shortcomings. You focus on that the fact that your shortcomings, he's already won that battle with your soul. He says, I've won that. Now stand in the grace that no matter how short of glory, what is glory? Glory is a weight. Glory is a weight, is a heaviness of royalty. Why do people get down about themselves? Because they compare themselves with greatness. They compare themselves with glory. He, sa he says, let me remind you, you've all fallen short of greatness. So stand in my grace that makes you worthy of greatness. You can't become great on your own, so let me make you great by not doing anything. But if you have a relationship with the one who makes you great, what you do will start to look like your identity that you now carry. Not because you're trying to earn greatness, but because you actually believe that you are great. When I stand in grace, I remember the next benefit. Verse 2. Are we still in verse 2? Through whom we also have access by faith into the grace in which we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. We don't earn access. We have a benefit of access that we do not deserve. And it isn't just access to grace. It's access to the courts of heaven. You've got a benefit of right, the, the, the benefit of putting faith in God who makes you right is that you have access to heaven. It says, we rejoice in the hope of glory. The word hope is translated happy certainty. What do we have certainty about? Let me read that verse 2 again in a different translation. Because of our faith, Christ has brought us into this place of undeserved privilege where we now stand, that's grace, and we confidently and joyfully look forward to sharing God's glory. We can have certainty that we share in his greatness, in his weight. We have access to the weight of all he is or greatness of the courts of heaven. The problem is, when you're not aware that you can share in the weight, you only stand in the grace of salvation and not in the grace of access through the way of salvation by faith. That's why we always talk about Jesus is the door. And it says, come through the door because in my Father's house there are many rooms. What's in the Father's house? 
glory that you're starting to share. And the only way you access glory in the heavenly courts is by way of salvation. But don't stop at Jesus save me. Don't stop at the gospel of Jesus. Jesus didn't even preach the gospel of Jesus. Jesus came and brought the gospel of the kingdom. That's why he told his, the disciples, said, Jesus, how come you teach us the kingdom so plainly and you teach to all these thousands of people in nursery rhymes called parables? He says, because I won't throw my pearl before swine. I could say something, but I'm not. I will. Why do you think thousands go to fluffy preachers? Because pearl isn't being thrown out. Parables are. Because the moment you offend them, they leave a church. You know what Jesus calls himself? A rock of offense. A dividing sword, the word. That's why 12 got kingdom and thousands when he said, eat my flesh, drink my blood, they went back to their towns. All right? This okay? Watch this. This is talking about access to the courts. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 to 22. And so, dear brothers and sisters, we can boldly enter heaven's most holy place. For those of you that are newer, I don't make a big statement unless I can show you scripture. We can boldly enter heaven's most holy place because of the blood of Jesus. Make no mistake, salvation is utterly important and Jesus is Everything. Amen? Amen? For a purpose. What is redemption? Restoring you back to your original purpose as people who carry the inheritance of heaven on the earth. That is not an empty prosperity manipulative thing of, oh, I can walk as wealthy on the earth. No, no. An inheritance of the kingdom says... I don't have to live by the governing articles of the world. I live by the governing articles of the king. You can take your boat and I live by his standards. And here's a message for the church. I may have said this maybe once or twice. I think that the wrong president was chosen. But stop dishonoring him. If you truly walk with God, pray for him. If you want to walk as an inheritance, uh, 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 carrying the kingdom, you know what? You know what Jesus said? You know how to be greatest in the kingdom? Let me show you. And he got down and he washed their feet. He said, to be the greatest, you become a servant of all, not believers. So the next time you're getting on your pious platform of I'm a Christian and you talking negative about a president who doesn't honor God, 
you're just as bad as the man you're dishonoring. You're called a hypocrite. Your cause does, okay. Anyways, let me get back in this. This, That's probably for one or two of you. No wonder the crowd's getting thinner. We can boldly enter heaven's most holy place because of the blood of Jesus. By his death, Jesus opened a new and life-giving way through the curtain into the most holy place. In other words, before he was there, there was something that kept you from the courts of heaven. And since we have a great high priest who rules over God's house, let us go right into the presence of God with sincere hearts fully trusting him. For our guilty consciences have been sprinkled with Christ's blood to make us clean. Think about guilty conscience. You're worried about your salvation. But what's the benefit? You've had peace with. That's why guilty conscience has been clean. You shouldn't be walking guilty if you truly have faith in the one who took care of the peace with. So now let the benefits flow. And if they're not flowing, clear the blockage. You know what the blockage is? No relationship. False faith. Our bodies have been washed with pure water. Because of what has been made available to us, we are made right by the blood of Jesus. That curtain, when he was crucified on the cross, when it tore from top to bottom, that was evidence on earth, naturally, of something that happened in the heavens, supernaturally. The thing that kept us from entering in to his presence was torn. It wasn't just something that happened on earth. That was an evidence of what really was going on in a realm that we cannot give our eyes to. What happened? The thing that kept you from experiencing heaven was ripped to shreds. Now, go in. And yet we never access it. The people in the upper room did. You remember uh, what what looked like tongues of fire? Let me make sure I, I quote that right. Looked like. They couldn't describe what was going on. What looked like tongues of fire appeared above their heads. And then they started manifesting in a gift to speak in 15 different languages for the purpose of being able to talk to everyone in the room. They didn't know what the heck was happening. They weren't praying for tongues. They weren't praying for gifts. All they were doing was one thing. It was all they knew how to do. What? Enter in. And they didn't realize Maybe they did, maybe they didn't, but they, what they did in that upper room was they were entering into heaven because the curtain was torn in the heavenlies, and in that upper room, they were in the courts of heaven for about 50 days, and on day 50, and yet when we have prayer on Wednesday nights, lately, seven of you come. And you want the glory to (laughs) 
Well, I can't make it because of my job. Well, then give me a solution. Ask to host a prayer meeting at your home. Tell me that your families are praying. Can we come into some sort of agreement? I know not everyone can get in one place, but we can come into an agreement. Why? Because heaven's not in this building. You're the temple. I'm not trying to get religious and trying to guilt you for not being here during the week. Trust me, that's not me. But are you doing it with your families? Are you pressing in at night? Are you remembering to take your, your husband and wife and your kids and press in for more than a two-minute prayer to make you feel better about going to sleep? Or blessing your food that's going to kill your heart and you're feeling better about it? Lord, bless this milkshake to the nourishment of my body. Right? Lord, thank you for this supersized fries and this ketchup. Lord, bless this meal. Like, that's what we do. But there, there is no legitimate, I'm, the, the curtain has been torn. And there are benefits to that. Enter the flip in. This is, all right. It's time the church accessed all the benefits. Genesis 3.8. They, Adam and Eve, they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves in the presence of the Lord. God among the trees of the garden. Are we really far off from that? Because if the curtain's been torn, he's walking somewhere in our midst. But how much do we enter into the walk or hide ourselves from his presence? Because we get scared of he'll see, just like they did. But your with has already been taken care of, so don't be scared of what he'll see. Access courts so that benefits will flow through you because your with's been taken care of. We are the people of God. Not only when we come together for a meeting, but everywhere you go. You don't get to turn off God because you're a businessman. You don't get to turn off God because that's just not the way to get up in the world. That's making the world or your career an idol. He should be everything. You don't have to put Jesus is love on your business card. But the way you treat your customers should be Jesus is love. Right? Enter in no matter where you go. Enter in with all you do. Psalm 1611, you'll show me the way of life, granting me the joy of your presence and the, and the pleasures of living with you forever. We have access to a life with him. 
not just believing in him, but walking with him, not separated, but access to heaven on earth with him, access to presence. Do you realize how much of a benefit that is? Do you realize what people are vulnerable to today when they don't have access to, to a covering in God? Do you realize every person who comes to visit Savannah, they all say the same thing. Savannah's different. And every tourist does the same thing. Show me the ghost tours. Do you realize what they're being exposed to? Do you realize what you're being exposed to? Just because you claim Christian, if you've got no, if you haven't been walking in, don't think just because you got a check mark on your, you know, whatever, your, your, your citizen report, what's that thing called? I don't know. Census. Don't mean that I'm... I'm, I'm good to go. If you haven't been accessing, if you haven't been building a relationship, when you walk into certain places, stuff will follow and attach to you. It may not be able to possess you, but trust me, it will attach. And then you start to wonder why you're having battles coming out of nowhere. Well, well, let me explain how to get that stuff off of you. Enter into the place where they can't go. Okay. Verse 3. I told y'all 10 o'clock. We can rejoice too when we run into problems and trials. For we know that they help us develop endurance. Endurance develops strength of character, and character strengthens our confidence, hope of salvation. Another benefit. We don't just glory in good times and easy times, but the glory, the weight of heaven we share in is developed even in problems and trials. And Paul isn't just speaking this in a good idea. Paul has experienced trials and problems. Dude's been in jail. Dude's been in prison. Dude was beaten so much that some would even claim he was dead, and they prayed over him and laid hands on him. He brought back to life. Remember, they, 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 they were throwing stones at him, and they, they, he, what, what, what was it? Yeah, they, they, they stoned him to death. Bitten by a snake, been in the snake, threw it all, put it in the fire. Paul's gone through some shipwreck. You know, like Titanic. Paul, Paul's been through some stuff. And he's like, listen, when, not if, when you run into problems and trials, that God did not plan for you? Stop believing in that false junk. God, what's the Bible say? No one is appointed for wrath. He did not plan your trials and your problems. You live in a fallen world and you are subject to trials and problems. But you cannot let that move you from your predestined plan and purpose. You keep your eyes on the plan. You keep your eyes on the purpose and you learn that there is a benefit when a trial or a problem comes that tries to shift you off of the purpose and the plan. 
And when problems and trials come, it's going to put stress on you. And the only way to build endurance is learning how to manage stress. How does a runner run longer? They learn how to run a mile without gasping for air. When they do a mile perfectly, then they can get two. I'm still trying to get from here to the door. It's, God says it's the same way with trials and problems. If you can learn how to endure small ones, then as you walk further into your purpose, the closer you get in your destiny, the enemy is going to come at you stronger. He's not going to mess with you big if you ain't doing big things in the kingdom. But when you do, he's going to come at you sometimes with not just one, but sometimes with thousands, legion. I often wonder the story when the man was possessed with a thousand demons, I wonder what was locked up in his purpose. Right? He says, I will take temptations and trials and a benefit. It's going to strengthen you. It's going to strengthen your character. It's going to build endurance. And you're going to learn how to manage larger and larger. 1 Peter 5.10. Then after you, your brief suffering, brief, even if brief is months, the God of all loving grace who has called you to share in what? Glory in Christ. He will personally and powerfully restore you and make you stronger than ever. So the next time you pray, God, make me stronger, don't be surprised if you go through a temptation, a trial, or an issue. Not because he sends it, but because he will say, well, let me take the guardian away and allow it. Guardian what? <laughs> he will set you firmly in place and build you up. And when you realize that's a benefit, you start to face trials differently. Because when you see a trial come, you start to rejoice. Because you know what's going on. Benefits. My character is about to get strengthened. And when my character is strengthened, I'm getting confident in who I am in Christ. And my confidence is strengthened. And when I'm strong in who I am and who I'm with, nothing is going to move me. And when nothing moves me, everything else is going to be moved when I walk through it. And verse 5 says, this hope will not lead to disappointment. For we know how dearly God loves us because he's given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with love. How do we know it won't, won't lead to disappointment? He's already proven his love before any benefit's given. How? He's given you the Holy Spirit. And love has filled our hearts. And it says love has not been given you in small amounts. It said he has filled you up with it. And Paul points this out to get our thinking in line with truth so that we experience the truth and fullness of all that God's done. You cannot experience all he's done if you don't see that you've benefited from a 
full outpouring of love. Because when you realize that you've benefited from a full outpouring of love, you realize it's, not, it's no longer about getting more love. You've realized you've been filled with all of it. And when you live in awareness that you've been benefited from all of it, it means that love can never stop being extended from you. Because it's never capped out. The fullness of who he is can never stop being extended from who I am. So I can never be tapped out in how much I can love people when I realize I'm full. Well, I'm just tired of pouring out to people. Are you aware of how full you are? Do you realize that you have been filled with love and the Holy Spirit? I can tell if you know you've been filled with the Holy Spirit. Someone ask how? Ephesians 5, verse 18. Don't be drunk with wine. That's going to ruin your life. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Singing songs and hymns and spiritual songs among yourselves and making music to the Lord in your hearts. Are you in a state of drunk praise because of the benefit of fullness? Drunk meaning you can't help but live from a posture of being full because of faith, that faith benefits you by the very dwelling of his spirit. That no matter what comes my way, I can't help but praise. And I look stupid. I look drunk. You ever seen people that just look dumb because of their praise? I don't know anyone that looks drunk because of their praise. And some people are like, man, that's just so dumb looking. N not you, maybe. <laughs> some people say that looks foolish. But the Lord says, get drunk like that. What is drunk? When something bad happens. Thank you, Lord. Right? I praise you, God. I'm not worried about it. You get the glory. You get the glory in the passing of a loved one. You get the glory that I lost my job. You get the glory that I, everything, even the bad stuff. I got COVID. Glory that I'm going to have one-on-one -on -one time with you. <laughs> you know what fullness is, though? Fullness is there's no room for anything else. Think about this for a second. Why do I praise God in sickness? So the fullness of God can push sickness out. Because if I'm full of God, there's no room for sickness to even exist in my temple. So when you start to feel down, make sure there's no room for it to stay in. Whether that be sickness, pain, worry, disheartened, you're depressed, Even when it's hard, Lord, I love you. Lord, thank you. 
you start to push it out because your awareness of the benefit. I am filled. Not because I earned this because I'm a good Christian, but because I put faith in you and you took care of the with. And now all these benefits I have access to. Verse 6. When we were utterly helpless, Christ came at just the right time and died for us sinners. And now most people would not be willing to die for an upright person, though some might perhaps be willing to die for a person who is especially good. But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. All these benefits, not because we are righteous, but because he loved us. To make a way to count us as right. He didn't die for those that had faith. He died so that we could get to him by way of faith. So that he could make us right. While we were proven guilty. So that he could change the verdict from guilty to not guilty. And when that penalty changed. He said all these benefits. They're made available to all who put their trust in me. And we'll close with these last few verses. Since we've been made right in God's sight by the blood of Christ, he will certainly save us from God's condemnation. For since our friendship with God was restored by the death of his son while we were still his enemies, we will certainly be saved through the life of the son. So now we can rejoice in our wonderful new relationship with God because our Lord Jesus Christ has made us friends with God. Because we're made right with him, yeah, we will be spared from eternal condemnation. Jesus took it so that you wouldn't have to. And when you understand the concept of him making you right, there should be a rejoicing of a relationship, and that relationship comes with benefits that you never had right to before. Peace, standing in grace, access to heaven, sharing glory, strengthening glory through trial. Developing strength for endurance, filled with love, filled with Holy Spirit, and rejoicing in a penalty that's been forever changed. Amen? Amen. There's benefits. Let's walk in them. Amen? Let's stand. Can we give God some praise tonight? Come on. Give him some praise. Come on. Give him some praise. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord.